0: This podcast is brought to you by Kloss. If you're looking to get more out of your harvesting operation, there's no brighter solution than the all-new Lexion Combine. Hey folks, welcome to episode number 33 of the Machinery Pete podcast. Thanks for giving us a listen I think We got a show today you're going to enjoy. Uh, I've met lots of really sharp people over my 31 plus years building our machinery peat business. Uh, not too many sharper than Thad Shively. Thad is uh, wrapping up his career, he's retiring now, uh, coming up here soon. Thad is the director of pre owned inventory for CB Operations, a fantastic John Deere dealer group with a multi state footprint. Uh, I think 37 stores. Uh, Minnesota, South Dakota, Iowa, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho. Uh, I've really enjoyed working with Thad over the years. Um, He's one of those guys just kind of on it. Just, just, I don't know how to describe it, but just Thad is a sharp guy. And we're going to talk about his career in the farm equipment business. Thad got his start just a couple years before I did, kind of back in the late 80s. I think he grew up around Rugby, North Dakota. So we'll talk about that career, uh, the cycles, ups and downs of ag that Thad uh, worked through, Uh, he has a strong heart for the customer, the farmer, uh, those relationships built in the farm equipment business. Uh, And it was really interesting to talk to Thad on a number of fronts, Uh, again, about the cycles where we're at now in the farm equipment business, particularly used equipment, uh, looking ahead for 2021, Uh, but also kind of picking Thad's brain uh, for some words of advice for young folks looking to get into the farm equipment business. And if we do have young listeners out there, love farm machinery, wondering about a career, I tell you what, can't find any better advice than from my friend uh, Thad Shively here. So, uh, again, we'll get to that conversation in just a minute. Uh, First off, I want to give a little market update. Um, Unbelievable here, folks. Just just crazy. The uh, third week of March, 2021 may be one of the very strongest weeks I've ever seen. And again, I started tracking prices daily going back to uh, November of 1989. Uh, just unbelievable. To give you a few examples, uh, last Friday, uh, March 19th, uh, we were filming an auction for our Machinery PTV show in Hector, Minnesota, a great town there in the central part of the state. Uh, this was a sale by our friends at the Steffis Group, retirement auction for Donovan Vanderwort. Nice line of equipment. Uh, kind of made me smile. It's one of these farm auctions now where there's, there's no small items, there's no hay racks like the old days. You go stand there and wait around for an hour and a half or two hours for the big stuff to sell. This was just, boom, right onto the right onto the big stuff. Uh, just a couple of highlights. They had an 08 John Deere 7630 mechanical front, 2,711 hours. That brought $93,000, highest auction price on a 7630 deer in over six years. Got to go back to December sixteenth of twenty fourteen to find a higher auction price on a seventy six thirty, and that is very indicative of what I've been seeing all over U.S. and Canada. It's just been amazing. Uh, what else? That sale had a uh, twenty fourteen Case H Steiger four seventy quad track. Uh, if we get a little bigger, a little more late model, this thing had just over fifteen hundred dollars on it, and that brought two hundred and forty five thousand uh, dollars. I was talking with my friend Eric Gabrielson with Stephas Group uh, before that sold and you know they were kind of looking in that 220 225 range and again, it went for 245. so real strong sale there Friday. Just a couple other examples. Stephas Group had a sale the day before last Thursday. this was March what 19, 18th in Litchfield, Minnesota, right on highway 12 their, uh, their consignment sale. And the tractor everybody was talking about was an 88 John Deere 4450 mechanical front, 5,476 hours on it. That thing brought 56K. Um, Now, the interesting thing was that the folks at Steffes Group told me there were five different bidders in on it after $50,000. So that is a pretty good little snapshot there of the strength of the market. Again, 56 k that's actually tied for the 10th highest auction price I've ever seen on a 4450. And again, that thing had almost $5,500 on it. Now, it was nice shape, but again, very strong. Um, this past Saturday out in Nebraska, you maybe saw the YouTube video I posted, West Point, Nebraska. Friends at Olson Pearson Auction and Realty. If you're into the Alligators, the Snoopys, the 2 Plus 2 Internationals, they had a $3,588, $4,580 80 hours on it. They brought twenty two dollars highest price I've ever seen on a $3,588. They also had an 81 model, 1086 just under $8,900, $500 on a new clutch and TA. That brought $18,900, strong price there, obviously. Uh, last Friday, let's go to a consignment sale in Annawan, Illinois. That's a Nordstrom consignment sale. They had a 1990 John Deere 4455 mechanical 4369 original hours, $69,500. Tied the second highest price in five and a half years on uh, 4455 and actually uh, seventh highest auction price ever. And again, $4,369 hours. Um, last Tuesday, we go out to uh, Vermilion, South Dakota. Uh, our good friends, uh, Blake and the crew at uh, Zomer Auctioneers and Associates, they sold a 98 model. New Holland 89.70, 3,575 hours, 76K, second highest price ever, highest since August of 26, 2010. Back then, there was a sale in Illinois, 98 model with 1,573 hours, brought 76.3. So here you go, you know, 10 and a half years later, one with uh, almost 3,600 hours, goes for 300 bucks less. That's what I'm seeing all over the place, folks. On good condition, used tractors, market is just, you know, about as hot as I've ever seen. So that's sort of a few examples. Not to mention the John Deere 7810 that sold a week ago Saturday on a farm auction in Ontario for the highest auction price ever on a 7810. I think it was almost like it was like eighty five hundred dollars over the previous high. I think it was like one thirty seven six. Just check out our blog at machinerypeat.com, You can get the whole scoop on that one. But let's go now to my conversation with our guest this week, Thad Shively, uh, Director of Pre-Owned Inventory with C&B Operations. Spring planning is almost here, and so is the age-old debate during planning season. Speed or accuracy? Should we aim to get it done before the inevitable rainy days, or should we pace ourselves and get the spacing right? Egg Leader says, why not both? Don't sacrifice precise seed placement for speed. Get Ag Leader's SureSpeed Planning System with SureForce Hydraulic Downforce. Not feeling the need for speed? Ag Leader also has a range of planning technology that's sure to meet the individual needs of your operation. Level up your planning this year. Contact your local Ag Leader dealer or visit agleader.com for more information. Ag Leader, technology that works for you. Hey folks, I want to welcome in our guest for this Machine Repeat Podcast episode, Thad Shively, the uh, Director of Pre-Owned Inventory with our friends at C&B Operations. Thad, how are you doing today? Doing really good, Greg. Thanks for having me. Uh, you bet. We kind of have, uh, I guess, some news here. Uh, Thad, you're going to be retiring here uh, pretty quickly after an amazing career in the farm equipment business. I guess, hey, congratulations on the, on the impending retirement.
1: Thanks, Greg. Yeah. So effective April second of this year, I'll be uh, be backing away a little bit from the industry that I've grown to love and appreciate, and uh, taking a little bit of time to relax in Southwest Florida.
0: Well, that's uh, and I understand we have a, a date with uh, fishing coming up here. I appreciate you making time before you hit the hit the water there, Thad. Uh, by the way, what are you fishing for today?
1: You weren't supposed to bring that upgrade. I'm actually not. Per second. You might have just <laughs> ran out to some of, my, some of my buddies back at work. Oh. So we are actually going out for Snook.
0: Snook? Okay. I'm a Minnesota boy. I don't know too much about Snook's ad, but uh, is it good eating?
1: They I to officially tell you that, but yeah, we've, we've got a few, so they're, they're wonderful.
0: Uh, let's, uh, let's fill folks in here about c and who you've been with since uh, 1999, is that correct, that c and uh, is it 37 or 38 locations you guys have now? It's actually
1: 37. So, yeah, they've okay. been in business since 1988, and it was kind of formed out of necessity. Their uh, local dealership in Gettysburg, South Dakota, was going to be closing. So, um, Dan Cronin was highly interested in keeping it open from a parts and service standpoint. So, they uh, jumped into that and just kind of threw that. It evolved into a A lot bigger things, so I think we were about 13 stores when I started um, right before 2000 and it's grown into a little bit
0: bigger deal. Wow, I guess. And uh, CNB now has those 37 locations. Am I right here, Thad? It's Minnesota, South Dakota, Iowa, Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho? Correct. And the website is deerequipment.com, correct?
1: Yes, and deer and Equipment share the same
0: Okay, uh, it's always been uh, my experience working with you guys at C and B Operations, Thad That, I mean, you guys are just have always been kind of ahead of the game a half a step there. Uh, you know, pushing the envelope in cool ways. And and with your role with Director of uh, you know pre owned inventory, uh, you've been sitting in a, a pretty interesting catbird seat there these last uh, twenty plus years with C and B.
1: It has been, um, of course. the The way we sell equipment today is obviously still very much based on relationships and, you know, finding common solutions to common challenges, so that part hasn't changed, but obviously with internet and people's ability to source equipment on a lot of different platforms and buy from states away has been... Uh, a, a real evolution so for, for that, you know, the quality of listings and accuracy of hours and those types of things have become paramount as well as pricing and, and, you know, bringing the best value to the market um, for the dollar seems to right. be, you know, a constant evolving thing.
0: Yeah, evolving for sure as we go here uh, every day. Now, Thad, let's wind it back a little bit. Um, so you... Got your start in the farm equipment business, was it in the kind of the late eight mid mid to late 80s? Is that right?
1: Yep, mid 80s. um, Started as a salesperson for a single store in north central North Dakota.
0: Okay. What town was that?
1: In in Rugby, North Dakota. Rugby, North Dakota. Did you grow
0: up around Rugby? Grew up right out of Rugby on a farm, yes. Okay. So you went to work at at a dealership there. Uh, How old were you at that? was about 27 years old okay and what were you doing were you in sales right off the bat
1: uh yes started in sales and um worked through that for about uh four or five years and then became a partner and shortly after that we acquired another dealership in harvey north dakota so moved my family down there and managed that
0: okay what, what was that like getting into the farming equipment business in your in your mid twenties? Uh, and again, gosh, that was you. You were coming in at a very volatile, difficult period in for agriculture mid eighties. There, what was that like? You know, um, you worked harder
1: for sales, and I think growers were you know harder pressed with higher interest rates and a lot of uh, pressures. You know, on commodities and so forth. But I think for for me, starting in sales, then was actually probably really good because of the challenge of it and having to understand how a farmer's selection and equipment had to bring you know a direct payback you know, pretty quick, right. or you didn't sell. It. So there had to be that benefit piece of it. So it was. It was certainly nothing like today, as far as the volume of equipment that is sold out for dealership in dollars, for sure. But kind of, kind of some some common things there. I mean, there was technology evolving down with air drills and air seeders, uh, you know, yep. probably like we see today with the precision egg things. So.
0: Mm-hmm. And always up in North Dakota, the, the whole farm scene and ag scene—I've always felt up there is uh, very innovative. Again, just maybe a little bit ahead of the curve, trying things, pushing the envelope. Uh, as a native North Dakotan, would you would you agree with that? I would,
1: um, and I think today that still goes on. So. For- but I will tell you, Greg, no matter where you travel or any of the states we operate in, I think the common thread is there's, there is um, very progressive farmers that have become super astute business people, whether it's marketing or purchasing or right. you know, kind of leveraging off the technology piece to increase yields and
0: you know productivity and efficiency of the machine itself yeah. and all those kinds of things. Right. I'd be curious to get your take, that on... Uh, on a point here. I I get a lot of uh, calls and interest from Wall Street people wanting to talk and such. And Personally, I don't think agriculture and farmers get enough credit for being as progressive technology-wise as they are. Uh, Would that be your... What's your take on that over the years? I
1: think some of your Wall Street people... Probably
0: come out and spend a day in the office, grower. <laughs> <the> exactly, <laughs> or, or a dealer. I mean, and, and see how you guys are pushing the envelope uh, over the years. Uh, just amazing. Now, um, so gosh, you got started in the in the '86, Thad. So, can you believe? I mean, over your career here, the way equipment has progressed. I mean, so the biggest machine you were selling back in '86 was what? Maybe I suppose the '86. 50 or something like that? 8850 four-wheel drives were the, okay. the big machine of the day, and then of course we jumped into 9600 combines, and Greg, I gotta tell you, I was at the introduction, it was in California, and I remember a couple of dealers leaning on the tires saying that there's no
1: way that that big a machine would ever be practical <laughs> and probably only a handful yeah. would ever sell, and we're selling machines today that would easily double the, yeah. the productivity of a of a 9600 so yeah it's it's been an amazing evolution probably the biggest piece would be the technology you know right. they started with just the ability to document yields and so forth and quickly spun off into guidance and where right. that's evolved from there has been you know in my career certainly the most amazing piece of the whole deal yeah. and how manufacturers and you know I'll put a little plug in for John Deere have uh, been able to bring those kinds of products to the market that really do have you know very quick paybacks to growers right. and that type of technology has been embraced not only in like our um, world but also the agronomy and you know right. nutrient world and so
0: forth it's been kind of interesting hasn't it? I mean well, not kind of interesting completely interesting but through maybe say the period from 14 2014 In early last year, uh, when profit times were tighter, the reliance on the data and the finding efficiencies—I mean, it's become kind of the business, hasn't it?
1: It it probably should have always been, to be honest with you, but I think more so during that stretch than ever. um, You know, purchases just had to be very, very well thought through from the grower standpoint, and had to bring that economic. payback really quick during that same time period and you know, we saw leasing becoming a really uh big viable option for growers as well so mm-hmm. um yeah it's been a been a nice stretch to come through
0: okay so a director of pre-owned inventory so you're let's talk about that position specifically thad that you've been in for all these years now um So you're at a, you know, humongous deep John Deere dealership there. The flow of used inventory, the trade-ins, the tractors, combines, planners, uh, managing all that and keeping it moving, man, that's quite a task. Well, I think, Greg, it takes, you know, good people. There's no way one person in any dealer organization can quote-unquote manage all of that. So it takes... You know, a lot of hands on deck mm-hmm. to, to do it and obviously to be able to interpret the market. And I think,
1: you know, ultimately the dealers that are really good at moving their used equipment, marketing, pricing it and so forth, you know, are the ones that that's, that's what paves the way to sell the, the new green iron, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been fun. Um, we're now using more you know, data driven um, stuff from organizations like Machine Repeat and so forth that can take our data, our sales data, and, you know, nationwide sales data and even North America and, you know, feed it back to us so that we can make, you know, actionable decisions based on that kind of um, market intel has been phenomenal. And that's where, you know, our relationship with Machine Repeat has been. So crucial to be able to, um, you know, supply us back with with that kind of data, um, you know, number of units sold, market trends, those kinds of things, number of units in inventory
0: right? right? Well, it's uh, I've always been fascinated. I mean, I I started in '89. I was three years behind you, and uh, but the 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 constant pursuit to to move the industry as we're able away from gut level valuations and decisions on equipment, whether actually whether that's a farmer or someone like you in your position trying to evaluate equipment. I know you've been passionate that about pushing and striving to on the data tools. Uh, can you you remember what it was like trying to value equipment back, you know, 30 years ago versus today?
1: Feet of the pants and gut feel, and you know, you you probably had a smaller slice of the geography in your own market space, so it was a little bit easier to predict. Right. Um, today, I um, kind of laugh too because after we use all this technology and all this data and do all this magic, at the end of it, Greg, you know, that's all historical, right? So yeah. it's all what already happened. There still is that. Got check of yeah. where is it going now, so I guess what I'm... What I'm kind of laughing about is we use all that stuff and call it scientific data and then we'll get done,
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. done with all that, we guess. Uh, but what does a grower do You know, when it comes to marketing grain and, right. and, and a lot of stuff too? So I think that's been the, the fun part of it. And that probably never will leave, no matter how much great data we have, right? Right,
0: right. So over your career, Thad, again, you started in 86. Let's talk about some of the cycles and ups and downs you've seen uh, so walk me back to say November of 07, when ethanol was you know, the push was on, the commodity prices shot up. Two thousand seven into eight, nine. What what was that like from your from your chair?
1: Well, for one thing we were really glad we were in the sector of the market we were in and not housing, right? Yeah. So there there was there was a lot of things going on, I think, Greg. But you know, through that period i guess we just tried to stick with what we knew and that was you know creating relationships that were mutually beneficial to growers and and ourselves and kind of did it the old-fashioned way i can tell you that through that cycle and i think what you're getting to is kind of the drop that occurred in 13 but through that whole time we were you know constantly fighting for new product it it, was the challenge we had was just getting enough new product to supply the demand rate and then um, how to react on the use side and what some of those changes that happened and you still had constantly evolving technology coming out where we had you know some obsolescence with some of the older equipment and so forth so there was a lot of uh, fun I guess through that time right Mm -hmm. up until you know about the end of 13 when the wave we were riding suddenly just disappeared but I think that um you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and i think we had uh to make some quick decisions on inventory levels and just trying to balance that out with you know what you thought was demand and mm. so forth so it it, it it was challenging but yet i think it was a um, you know great opportunity to kind of figure out what the hope is is going forward you know and with higher commodity prices and so forth how to Probably get set up so that it isn't such an event. Um, right. And, and doesn't happen so
0: abruptly. Right. Yeah, that's kind of the one thing I'm really <coughs> curious about going forward here as uh, an industry uh, learning from past experiences. So that, that you know, that overhang of late model use that the industry had in 14, 15, 16 dealing with, uh, now that. Times appear to be, uh, you know, uh, the money spicket opening a little bit again. Will we get into that same position? Or how do you think the there'll be a little more discipline uh, carrying through this time or not? What, what's your take on that, Ted?
1: I, I guess I don't know how to answer that, Greg. I mean, I certainly hope so. I, I don't know that any two events are always identical and right. so forth, but I think TURN has become uppermost on dealers mind i think the automobile industry you know learned that years ago you just can't have inventory right. uh um, luxury stocking and it's got to be turning and i i can tell you when we started to measure that as an industry you know like it was Probably if you turned your inventory two times a year, so mm-hmm. on average, something every six months was kind of the bar, and that's been quickly changed to four and five times turn. And some dealers are right. even doing better than that. As long as your inventory is turning, it's priced, you know, right. relevant to the current markets and so forth. And I right. think that that in itself is really the, the one thing that can probably take some of that out
0: of it. Yeah, I, that's my hope too, is that uh, we've come along and our our processes. And uh, i just I'm just curious to get your take, too. Now, you mentioned starting sales in the 80s when it was difficult, but how that kind of in a way was a positive. And uh, as an industry, farm equipment dealers working through the tough times, and taking that forward, again, there's value in coming through those tough times, don't you think? What we I
1: be no different than then product has become a lot more complex obviously especially with the technology piece and the amount of option codes you know I look back to but when you started Greg to like 8760 John Deere four-wheel drive tractor head you know some different tire selections three transmission types and maybe some supplementary lights or a couple of options right. that same four-wheel drive which of course is more horsepower today but it has so many different um, options so salesmen have really got to uh, be a lot better with products that so they can truly be the consult of salesperson that our, our growers of today are, are not only demanding but deserving of rate right. so I think that having um, kind of that as a foundation piece for salesmen is super important i think the ability to understand some of the economic pressures on growers and and help to provide solutions that make their lives a little bit better whether it's productivity or efficiencies or some things that, that you know can be aligned together in that when when selling is tough, that becomes your priority: is how do I fill a need in the market space yep. and actually create a solution? So I think Greg, that's um, a little different than order taking. And we had, you know, your dad would have certainly talked about it. The, the, the mid seventies, how you know, you just couldn't get enough product, and it just right. basically became an order taking thing. And, and I am, I am, uh, I guess, happy to. Started my career when maybe things weren't quite that good, so you had to be a little more creative in how you approached the yeah. whole
0: business. Yeah, I do remember <clears throat> my dad Jerry talking about. Uh, I think it was seventy three, maybe. I mean, I was I was seven years old. I wasn't paying too much attention at home, but <laughs> talking about farmers, customers that around West Central Minnesota that are wanting a forty four thirty and basically having to take a number. Uh, right. Now, you know, over your career, Thad, I mean that I. Would I be accurate to say that maybe this is the third third time? I mean, so set early 70s, and then maybe that 07, 08 period where availability was a factor. And would it be accurate to say right now is queuing up to be the sort of the same?
1: I think so. I, uh, I was the same as you. I wasn't around in the mid-70s, but those were certainly the – I was around. I wasn't in the industry, but certainly, right. you know, we heard those stories and we – just thought that was just people talking about the glory days right right Right. until we got to live it ourselves. So, yeah, I think you're spot on, Greg. I think it actually is about the same right now. Okay.
0: Well, on the topic of cycles and interesting days and periods, let's talk about the last year here, Thad. My gosh, a hundred-year pandemic. We're we're, we're talking now on this interview uh, almost one year to the dot after things started to shut down. Can you reel it back You know, sitting in your chair, Thad, uh, what the industry was thinking was going to happen a year ago versus how things played out? Well, I think first and foremost, Greg, we should be feeling very fortunate to be in
1: the industry we are, because we were certainly less affected than, um, you know, restaurants and a lot of things that just were directly hit hard. So i think that's one very positive thing we had you know that same period i just when you when you said that it made me reflect on you know the hand sanitizers and we'd even considered how do we keep our stores open to supply growers with parts i mean it was just right ahead of springs work and Mm -hmm. um, i was very proud of our our ownership group to always try to base the decisions on safety for customers and employees but we had uh, Quickly, you know, went into the whole uh, acrylic shields and parts counters and so forth, and, you know, parts runners and setting parts outside or curbside, I guess is you know mm-hmm. that those kinds of things. But yeah, I think we got through it. I don't know that we're through it, but I think we we were able to keep people going. And I, I again, I'm just happy that we're in in the industry. where we saw effects on parts supplies. You know, certainly some of the transportation issues that came from it um, right away and so forth, but I think a lot of that has, at least in our industry, been a lot more positive than in some. Right.
0: Well, okay, so I'm curious here, Thad, now, question for you, I don't know too many folks more plugged in than you are on used valuations and trends. So this last year with the pandemic and the switch, you know, in mass to online auctions, could you have predicted a year ago what we'd see in terms of strength of pricing at a hard cash auction or did that not surprise you or what was your take on this whole last year been on the auction front?
1: Yeah, so I mean to say that it didn't surprise me would kind of kind of be all-knowing, right? So mm-hmm. there's, there's surprise around every corner. I guess I'm just really... You know glad that our industry had already been set up I mean we were doing online stuff
0: yeah. you know obviously prior to that and even you know virtual auctions and so forth but I uh, again
1: I think it probably what surprised me is if we were just looking at like a almost what could have been perceived to be almost an all-out economic collapse rate but yeah. somehow we were able to got through that, I, I'm sure it did have, you know, certainly effects on our business and, um, you know, even uh, attitudes and outlooks and those kinds of things, but what a great industry to be a part of to have come through that and got through it as well as we did. I mean, we saw a lot of, um, you know, changes that we had to implement for, even delivering of equipment, scrubbing down cabs, and, and clean, right. cleaning with hand sanitizers, steering wheels, and all the touch parts that, that we would touch and so forth. So it definitely um, put a whole different way on how we did
0: business. And probably, who knows, maybe it will go in into the future. So, right. Okay, uh, you know, uh, let's stay on the topic of the future here, Dad. So this this whole online thing, I mean, we've. I've been writing about the, you know, the, the strength of online auctions uh, growing the past year. And like you say, they've been around for a long time, but just strengthening. But the whole our whole culture this last year being forced to go more online with shopping, and, and you know, farm shows have been shut down. What's your take on our industry? You know, selling used farm equipment with online aspects. Uh, do you think this past year will speed us along with online shopping and buying of used farm equipment? Just curious to get your take.
1: I I think it will accelerate that trend. I think that trend was there, Greg, and I think you saw it early, and that's why you know, the business model of machine repeats and, and its um, partners in the, the marketing online presence. I think that our duty now or our charge has to be for accuracy. Um, we've almost got to be able to supply that information to a grower as if they were standing there. Right. Uh, not only looking at the machine, but actually operating it. So I think, you know, the the... Changeovers that we'll probably see would be more video, and we see that, you know, certainly in the auto industry, and then, you know, more quality photos, right. way better descriptions than probably what we've had, and just mm-hmm. being good stewards of being completely accurate to your models, to option codes, to, um, you know, warranty end dates, and those kinds of things,
0: plus probably the you know, finance packages that are available in in any particular piece at any given time, right? Right. Yeah. Interesting. I'm I'm with you. I think uh, we've uh, a lot of advancements crunched into a year here, so I'm excited to see how it plays out and we can gain efficiencies going forward to help everyone in the space. So let me pivot a little bit now, Dad, and we'll talk uh, business but also family. So your son, Seth has been in the business now, how many, is it like 13, 14, 15 years, something like that?
1: I think it's 12, Greg. 12, okay. Uh, got out of college and came in as an intern at stores, I think, working with some of the lawn and garden product and, you know, lot work and some of the same kind of yep. stuff that we both probably did early on. And yep. I think uh, about uh, close to a year into it, jumped into actual egg sales and, had a, a, a nice um amount of success and then moved to pipestone minnesota mm-hmm. and managed a brand new facility that we had built kind of in a, a market space where there was just tons of opportunity and uh managed and grew that business um for about four years and then came back into the um, leadership of the company and the used equipment space so it's been super neat for me I would use the word funny He might describe it as something different but um, (laughs) it's been a really unique opportunity for me and super proud of CMB for allowing you know without ownership in the company for that to have been a part of it couldn't be prouder of his uh, hopefully same deal about you know just accuracy and being you know honesty and those yeah. kinds of virtues and how we deal with our growers and and employees alike and so forth and I think has
0: really made a nice um, career and I think his passion for agriculture in this industry has been um, I mean it's reminiscent of kind of where I was at at that age. Yeah well I'm, my interactions with Seth that I would say chip off the old block there. Uh, and gosh, now he's actually director of sales operations, I believe, for CNB and op, uh, operations. Is, is that his title now? That is correct,
1: Greg, and okay. that is exactly why I chose to retire. I'd be a terrible hide <laughs> to answer to him. I'd probably be subjected <laughs> to the same stuff I put him through. Oh, okay.
0: Now, you brought up passion. Uh, let's talk about that, Thad. Now, you've spent a lifetime in the farm equipment business. I mean, so what, over the years, what lights, what got you up out of bed every day? What lit you up about this business?
1: I think it's the people would be the one word answer, Greg. I think having been able to be a part of a phenomenal industry that's probably understated, like your comment earlier about Wall Street and so forth, I mean, these growers are hardworking and very challenged with everything from weather to markets to all that kind of stuff. And just to be able to be a part of that and be a support mechanism for them and what they do, I would consider myself very, very fortunate to be that connected to what I feel is the greatest bunch of people on earth. And I think they have, um, evolved on the business side of it that's been really really fun to watch and you know the hard work part doesn't go away but I think that um it's very understated you know the, the role of that whole thing and you mentioned the pandemic earlier and, um you think about it, the onset when not only toilet paper was oh, not really? shelves but how about how about food itself and I think that should have probably jarred some of the thinking of people that weren't as closely connected to agriculture and so forth of the importance of it so but my deal Greg back to your actual question I think has just been the connection and the relationships that have grown as a result of that and you know for me a sense of pride certainly has been to have a lot of the same customers that I've dealt with over the last 30 plus years mm. still um, buying and I'm dealing with you know sons those growers that were you know actively involved in, in our dealerships and, right. and uh, it's it's really been a neat thing
0: yeah it's kind of amazing isn't it That I mean I remember growing up with dad as a you know, third generation dealer and I guess without I guess paying attention too much I understood it was a it was a very personal business, and even as as technical and data-driven, and even with the massive scale of the machines today, it's still, I mean, it's still, to a high degree, a personal business. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree?
1: I completely agree. And I think as you see the evolution of dealership organizations growing larger, I know at CMB that has been a focal point is to have the local connection to our communities and be a supportive of not only the community but the, uh, you know, local growers and so forth and to keep that flavor where decisions are made locally and Mm -hmm. and so forth and and, um, I'm super proud of that and I I think that we got to remind ourselves of even though these businesses are larger and it's probably, you know, was just an evolutionary thing we see it in lots of other industries and mm. even consolidation in other parts of the egg industry right so mm. i think our challenge is just to, to um, stay focused on our local growers and be able to make those um decisions on the spot and and uh, i think
0: we all can win right yeah oh, I, I love it that that's great insight there okay now We'll, we'll wrap up here, Thad, and get you out on the water so you can catch those fish. Uh, but on the topic of it, of advice and insight, let, let's talk now to young people who listen to Machine Repeat podcast or YouTube videos. And they love farming. They're interested in the farm equipment business. But, you know, maybe they don't have family in it. What advice or tips would you give to a young kid, boy or girl out there that's thinking about the farm equipment business as a career? I think
1: you owe the grower, and I think we all see this when we go shopping, Greg, is you owe the grower a great base of product knowledge and how not only specs and codes and horsepowers and you know capacities of fuel and all that but how it really applies to their situation i think we've all had the the shopping experience where uh that person was probably less than knowledgeable on product and how does it help me and i think that there is people that you know get into industries and think that it's going to be easy it's tough and um, I can tell you that if you want long, sustainable relationships, that value piece has got to be brought to the table. Um, in earnest, I personally will tell you, Greg, I think that the egg industry has been and will continue to be kind of uh, under noticed and it might not be as glamorous as, you know, selling yachts or boats or houses or whatever it is, but it is definitely rewarding and I think the, the again the people that we deal with whether it's internal employees or external customers are the best bunch of people in the world and it, it can be a great career whether you're in part sales or service I think that having, having something to bring to the table and just constantly keeping up on it and so forth you know I think that what you and I knew great back 30 some years ago today is not completely irrelevant, but probably not super relevant. Mm-hmm. And the ability just to keep up—it's like a constant, um, constant thing. As these manufacturers change product probably quicker than ever and come to market quicker than ever, and I think as farming practices change, just keeping, keeping aware and becoming—you know—the most in depth he can be is what probably sustains the
0: career, right? Right. Just curious, I'll, I'll ping something off you, on Thad, on the, on the young person side. We have two daughters here. They're uh, almost 30 and 27 now, but when they were growing up, they used to laugh at me when I would not <clears throat> try not to overstress it, but they were going into STEM fields, math and engineering, but I wanted to stress to them the importance of eye contact when talking to people and listening. Um, so, again, over your career, seeing all the different people come into the farm equipment business, those personal skills, um, how do you see that? Or what would, how would you say it now as you look to step away and retire here, the importance of that piece in the farm equipment business?
1: So that is a super interesting question, Greg, and I gotta tell you, you hadn't prepared me for that, but I think that, that your question shares just great insight. So that's one thing that has remained constant and hasn't changed. I personally believe that people want to be treated themselves like they would treat others. And I think it's hard to pretend right. to be interested if you genuinely aren't. Right. And I think there is no no um replication you can't pretend to be genuine rates so i think that having passion for the egg industry having passion for our equipment having passion for understanding and being able to anticipate growers needs is what they're really looking for so part of that um shakes uh, the look in the eyes I think is just confidence because you've studied and you've understood and you're ready to anticipate and I think probably as important as any of that great my opinion is if you don't know the answer just humble yourself and tell people let's figure it out together you know that that was a curveball let's let's get it right and not just feel uncomfortable void right. with chatter that's probably meaningless or uh, you know has errors in it so I think to me I think you know especially growing up in the Midwest I think the you know the eye contact a lot of times to me was always hey I'm, I'm into what we're talking about I'm confident yeah. about it I understand what we're talking about and so forth and I think it's again hard to pretend that right so I think it's huge right
0: well it's interesting so, I appreciate your Insights there, Thad. Now, I, I'm sorry I keep asking you to be a futurist here. but uh, Okay, so you're you're kind of moving out of the business, um, transitioning a little bit here, retiring. <clears throat> as you've seen the changes we talked about going back to when you started in 86, as you look ahead for the next 5, 10, 20 years for the farm equipment business, uh, I mean, just give me – your your gut there i mean our machines just going to continue to get bigger is this just a universal thing so back in the day when those guys said that you know this 9600 combine can't get any bigger are we just going to continue to get bigger what, what do you see
1: well i've learned this never say never right so right. um and i think the only constant is things are always changing mm-hmm. i i know that um you know the autonomous. You know, operatorless vehicles are already, you know, out running. They're not in the test phase anymore. I mean, uh, that's going to march along. You know, this whole electric thing that's Mm -hmm. in kind of force with the automobile industry and that evolution. I'm sure is going to. Um, not shock anybody, but I think there's those trends coming. So, mm-hmm. you know, how we prepare for it, Craig, I really don't know. I think it's just like it was back when steel tires were replaced with rubber tires. Right. You, you, you go with it and so forth. But, yeah, I think the changes and, and the, the time between changes is what's probably, you know, with the... Uh, technology today to get to market quicker with new product than ever before I think we'll see changes um, coming along that will be amazing to everyone and I especially think on the technology side but yeah I think machines will continue to grow for sure Um, and and I think we're seeing that already just you know a quick peek into what's kind of being announced just uh, for the upcoming year would tell you that
0: yeah gosh I mean I was down in Des Moines last week for Deers, uh, they had a media event for their new products and looking at their sprayer technology, there's, what is it, c Spray Select, I think, uh, you see some of those uh, applications and the technology involved and it just makes you smile, the, the investment forward. And just curious on your take on this, that, now, I don't think any of us like change and it's not human to like it, but in agriculture... Again, I don't think farmers and the whole industry gets enough credit for leaning into change and seeing opportunity in change. So whatever is coming down the pike, if it can make us better, farmers and dealers are leaning into that, right? I
1: couldn't agree more. And I do think, Greg, you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, they don't get enough credit. I mean, that's been... Uh a resounding theme, I can tell you, like you saw, the new sprayer technology, what was only a few short years ago when we had the exact apply thing. You know, and those kinds of technologies um, were touted when they came out as being able to save 5% on chemical costs and reduce crop damage through overlap and over-applying and under-applying and all those kinds of things, and that technology was embraced like, really really quick in the industry so I would say you're you're right Uh, today's farmer has the um, ability to change quickly and change their operations And some of these changes uh, it isn't just the upfront initial cost it's kind of converting your whole operation around it and I think it's been amazing the take rate manufacturers wouldn't be building it if it wasn't being utilized and I think that's been um, phenomenal I think it will continue to be
0: mm, that's good stuff there Thad. tell you what buddy I've enjoyed this conversation so much I appreciate you sharing your insights now again you'll be retiring uh, coming up here April 2nd from yep. your director of pre-owned uh, inventory with CNB operations but uh, you're going to still be involved a bit uh, maybe some fun things down the road coming Thad Maybe, um, just an attachment piece to the industry and
1: to growers. It's hard to completely walk away from. So I, I don't know what the future all brings, Greg, but I do, um, want to say kind of in closing, it's been a phenomenal ride and I just, for anyone listening to the people that I've met or or maybe, you know, been a small part of their operation, uh, sincere thanks for um, supporting myself and letting me be a part of your um, farming operations and lives, probably more importantly, and uh, all the internal employees and other dealer relationships. That's been wonderful. And I think Greg we didn't talk about it, but you know, the relationships with other dealers, ability mm. to trade back and forth, new and used equipment and right. leverage off of that. What a great bunch of people. Um even to out of the John Deere network stuff and, and those relationships. Thanks for all of that. And I yeah, I don't intend to fade away. I think I still wanna be a part of it. And Greg, for you it's been a pleasure to um, know you and work with you and kind of have the common you know background into this business and so forth and certainly um, through your you know affiliation at machine repeat and those alliances have been phenomenal and it's been i guess an honor for you to think of me and have me be a part of this Well,
0: uh, hey again back at you buddy i i appreciate over the years as i was building our business Your uh, straight take and advice that you uh, gave, and it was super, super helpful. Always appreciated how you roll. And, again, hats off to your career there, Thad. Excited for what you got coming in the future. And I hope, my friend, the fish are biting today.
1: (laughs) Again, you weren't supposed to rat me out, but I hope they are too.
0: (laughs) All right. Thanks again, Thad. All right. Thanks, Craig. Hit the ground running this planting season by upgrading your equipment to radial farm tires. With Farm Hard Rewards by Firestone Ag, upgrading and saving money is easier than ever, because we know farming sure isn't. Between now and April 30th, save as much as $200 per tire when you buy two or more eligible Firestone radial tires. Terms apply. Firestone is also offering the chance for you to win a limited edition Firestone Wheels of Time collectible toy tractor. Complete a survey on their website and you'll be entered to win. Firestone will donate $25 to the National FFA Organization for every survey completed. Visit FirestoneAg.com or contact your local certified Firestone Ag dealer to learn more. Gloss products are an engineered mix of efficiency, precision, convenience, and reliability, all in the same package. But they aren't for everyone. They're for those who know the numbers that drive their operation and are interested in making them even better. They're for those with a plan. If you plan to get more out of your farming operation, take a closer look at Kloss for brighter solutions and better business results. Contact your Kloss dealer today. Well, a big thanks to my friend Thad Shively for that great conversation. We certainly want to wish Thad uh, a very uh, happy retirement. I think he's going to be pretty busy in his retirement. It's kind of moving on. Uh, But wow, what a career in the farm equipment business. Hats off, Thad, for the great job you did. And again, uh, working with a great organization there, C and B operations. Uh, just one of those dealers I found over the years that kind of half a half a step ahead of the game. Uh, check out their website, deerequipment.com. And again, Thad has been uh, kind of heading up their their used equipment division for years and has just done a great job. So again, enjoyed that conversation. Now, uh, again, to stay on top of the auction market here, folks, as we wind down, kind of get towards the end of the busy season here, March into early April, remember, you can go to machinerypeat.com, click on auction price data, and we've opened the doors up here, folks. It says free now. Uh, we're pushing 800,000 sale prices in there, and we update this data every day. So if you want to really keep tabs on what's happening, my suggestion would be to click in there and use our search filters on the left side of your screen. Uh, and what you can do, like pick tractors and then go down to the sold date range and just say, show me the last month. So fill in from March 1st, 2021 until today's date and then hit the search button and it, it'll just pop up and show you, you know, all the tractors we've seen all over North America sold in the last, you know, two, three, four weeks. Uh, same with combines, tillage. You can go down to the model level, obviously. You can sort by highest price first, lowest price, uh, most recent price. You can zero in on the hour range. You can do anything. And frankly, when people ask me, hey, Machinery repeat, what's this worth? That is where I look. And again, we get new prices pouring in every day from all over the place. So I hope that can help you folks out there. And, hey, we really appreciate you listening to our Machine Repeat podcast. And as we move forward here uh, closer to planting season, I just uh, uh, a word of uh, appreciation for what you folks are doing to feed the world. Uh, Awesome. Just fantastic. Uh, And be careful out there. And remember that each and every day, no matter how challenging, is a gift and a blessing. Till next time on machine repeat, we'll see you at the sales.